Coming up on this week's show, Frederick Smith and Chaz Lamar join us to talk about their debut collaboration, In Case You Forgot. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 203 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and amazing husband, Bill Knaus. Amazing. Yes, that is you. (laughs) This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thanks to Amy for joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Back to school season. Indeed. I have seen children about this week. Um, yeah. I have, I have seen them on their school routes. Seems early. I feel like I never went back to school before Labor Day. Um, I don't think I ever... I can't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I ever did either. But, you know, these are the times we're living in. Indeed. It's also fall spice season. <laughs> Jeff and I were at the store yesterday... And not only did we encounter an entire table filled with <laughs> pumpkin spice goodies, but we also snagged ourselves a pack of the limited edition uh, maple cream Oreos. Oh, I'm so happy to find Canadian Oreos. <laughs> because Canada makes me think of maple. I don't know why. It just does. Uh, what do you mean you don't know why? Because it does. It just does. That's I mean, what it, uh, Maple leaf. It's totally Canadian. Well, it's not like we don't have maple things here in the States. We make maple syrup like in Vermont <laughs> and such. Yeah, but like Vermont cookies aren't as cool as Canadian cookies. I suppose that's true. And the maple the maple Oreos are really quite tasty. I was <laughs> pleased to, to find them. So I traveled this week again. I figured out earlier that I have only been home f- one out of the last five weeks. It's been crazy between RWA podcast movement and then a work trip this past week. Although I was still to be back in my home state of Michigan for the first time in like forever. So that was fun. Quick reminder, we have a brand new show. If you happen to be an author of gay fiction, please consider checking out the Big Gay Author Podcast. Yes, new episodes drop every Saturday. You can find how to get them at BigGayAuthorPodcast.com and... Particularly this week's episode, I think we're, we're very proud of. We've got Anne Hawley over there talking about the masterwork experiment that she was working on, breaking down Brokeback Mountain, to use its story beats and turn them into a fresh new story. I think authors will really be interested to find that out. And Anne's going to be on this show in the coming weeks to talk about one of her Regency MM romances as well. Hi. I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. So before we get into the books, a couple of other things that have gone on this past week. We finished off our season at the Sacramento Music Circus and uh, saw In the Heights. Uh, It was a delight to revisit this show. Uh, We saw it back when it premiered on Broadway somewhere in the 2000s. Lin-Manuel Miranda's work that he did before Hamilton. Uh, I forgot how just fresh and lively and awesome this show is about the folks who live in Washington Heights over July 4th weekend it was amazing to see this show again also this past week we took we partook of the season finale of pose um i think they knocked it out of the park this year Mm -hmm. um 
as as Jeff and I have mentioned many, many times before, uh, we fell in love with Pose last year. Uh, this year was, frankly, even better. Uh, they went deeper with all of the characters and all of their storylines. Um, everything was uh, superb. Yes. Uh, they jumped forward for the finale about six months from where they had been into uh, early 1991. Uh, MJ Rodriguez in particular, I mean, shout outs to her. She's always amazing as Blanca, but in this particular episode, she was just a force. And if she does not get an Emmy nomination for this work, it's just shame on the Academy for that. Uh, <laughs> so if you have not seen Pose, why haven't you? Uh, you can see season one streaming on Netflix and season two is on FX On Demand. Check that out. So while Jeff and I were busy in different states this past week, uh, <laughs> we actually partook of some narrative podcasts. And the first one I want to talk about is called The Two Princes. And I want to apologize to all of you listeners because The Two Princes dropped uh, in June for Pride Month. And it has been sitting on my phone since June. Uh, and I am only just now getting around to it. And shame on me. This show is an absolute utter delight. And it would have been ideal to listen to uh, on a family road trip. Um, so if you've got like <laughs> Labor Day weekend is just around the corner. So if you've got like one last family car trip in you, you might want to bring along the two princes because I think it is amazing. It's perfect for all ages. The story revolves around uh, Prince Rupert and he is just far too curious about the dark forest that is overtaking his kingdom. Uh, his mother decides to throw a bride-finding ball to kind of distract him. But in the middle of the ball, the forest attacks the castle and Rupert makes his escape. Uh, incidentally, the prince is played by Noah Galvin and his mother, uh, oh my God, she's so funny, uh, is played by Christine Baranski. Um, oh, jeez. Oh, uh, I bet she's awesome. <laughs> so amazing. So Rupert makes his way to the hollow at the center of the Forbidden Forest and he vanquishes his very first foe, which was a really big bug, uh, but he is immediately captured and seduced by this sentient plant. Um, but he is saved by Prince Amir of the East. And Amir fills him in on the, the curse and the prophecy that they're both trying to like deal with. And Rupert decides to tell him that he's Fritz, the daring thief. Because being a daring thief is, you know, better than being a clueless prince. Okay. Um, <laughs> so they eventually end up taking shelter in a cave, but are trapped by a cave-in. And uh, they eventually come across a baby dragon, who they name Porridge. And Porridge helps them escape. Meanwhile, uh, back at the kingdom, Amir's mom pays a visit to Rupert's mom. And she explains that the prophecy is coming to pass and that their sons are both in danger. And they must raise a crew of debutantes and princess wannabes to help save the princes. Um, Amir's mom is so badass. Where, I mean, <laughs> where <laughs> Christine Baranski is sort of like, you know, flighty and ridiculous. Um, Amir's mom is so down to business. She <laughs> she has this enormous uh, uh, dirigible flying machine uh, that they're going to go use to save the princess. It's pretty... Ugh, she's so amazing. Anyway, so, uh, episode four. Rupert and Amir encounter a band of cutthroat highwaymen, and the leader of whom he is a frustrated actor. Um, this gets my vote for the funniest episode in the series, um, the wordplay and the ridiculousness uh, is, ugh, it's just, it's beautiful. Um, Rupert uses his wits and eventually talks their way out of danger. Eventually, our two heroes end up getting stuck in a muddy bog, but clean themselves up at a picturesque waterfall where Rupert decides to actually come clean and say that he is the Prince of the West. Um, this does not go over well with Amir because the prophecy states that the two princes must do battle uh, in the center of the forest. Uh-oh. Uh, a giant spider reminds them of this. And uh, <laughs> though they really like one another, the prophecy does in fact dictate that they must do battle. There can be only one, as the saying goes. 
Uh, Rupert and Amir make their way to the hollow where they're joined by their moms and they discover that the two kings have been there at the center of the forest the entire time. And they're going to force their sons to do battle and decide the fate of the two kingdoms. But Rupert and Amir are smart and they find a way to break the curse uh, without killing one another. That's good. <laughs> they eventually join the two kingdoms and they find they're happily ever after. Aww. <laughs> But why are there so many bugs? That's my question. There's actually a whole lot. Of, they fall in and out of danger so many times. It's hilarious. It's a thing. It's a thing on the show. Um, this was remarkable. And like I said, I'm kicking myself for waiting so long to listen to this. Uh, it is an absolute delight. The entire voice cast is remarkable. Uh, the script is amazing. Uh, this is a narrative podcast. So, yes, instead of like an audiobook where it's just a single narrator telling the story, it's an entire entire cast. They've got music and sound effects. It's really creating an environment uh, that kind of uh, sweeps you away uh, to another world. Um, this is essentially uh, the movie I wish Disney would make. Ooh, cool. It's utterly wonderful, and I highly recommend The Two Princes. So I have to ask one more question. Yes. Why porridge for the dragon name? Is that covered at all? Well, Ru- Rupert, <laughs> Rupert really tried. He he's like you know he, he's like oh how about Scar or Hellbane or <laughs> this is like and the dragon wasn't having any of it. And he's like uh, porridge, and he seemed to be into it. So that's what they named him. Okay. <laughs> porridge, porridge it is. So I also did a podcast. While you've only had yours hanging around since June, mine's been hanging around since January. So I I did even worse than you Mm -hmm. in terms of timing. Uh, But I listened to the hilarious Gay Future podcast. So who would have thought that a dystopian future could be caused because Ruben Studdard beat out Clay Aiken on American Idol in 2003? Hmm. And who would have thought it possible that it would be the subject of a young adult novel written by a young Mike Pence? Hmm. That's the premise behind the Gay Future podcast, a hilarious audio fiction podcast that debuted earlier this year. Its first season is six episodes plus five bonuses, and it is one of the funniest things I've listened to in a very long time. The Gay Future story is said to be from a never-before-published YA novel by Pence, And this novel is set in the year 2062. A totalitarian government led by President Clay rules over what's left of North America to spread the gay agenda. There's a gay academy, a lesbian academy, even a place where babies can be picked up by their gay parents. Yet it's also a dark time and humanity's only hope for rebellion rests on the shoulders of a teen boy with a very dark secret. He's straight. Yep, young Mikey is the lost son, and he's wanted by the rebellion to start a rise up and set the world right. Of course, President Clay also wants him because the little glowy rock in a cave, yes, Clay is advised by an alien rock who has been made his manager, has convinced him that if he can harness Mikey's straight voice, he will be number one forever because Clay has never gotten over being number two on Idol. Now, this four-hour production, which doesn't count the bonus episode, plays out as a wonderfully subversive YA novel. You've got the dystopian future with some great Hunger Games-style moments. There's a dash of Harry Potter and some Star Wars, along with some great pop culture artifacts along the way, too. Mikey's quest to get to the Lost City of Straits to kickstart the rebellion is fraught with peril and so much lunacy. Mikey and his band of misfit friends, including a rebel leader who is a genetic mutant, a boy who has no senses other than sight, because his four other siblings have the other senses, one each among them, which plays a significant role much later in the story. And someone, of course, is out in their group to double-cross them. These guys do not have an easy journey at all. And Mikey's Luke Skywalker-esque quest, including an excellent training montage, because you can do a training montage in a podcast, uh, has to be heard to believe. It's just mind-blowingly good. And yet, all of the depth of character that happens in the middle of this glib story was amazing. The more that was revealed about Mikey and how he became the lost son, the more unexpected feels I had in the middle of all this. 
Now, the primary characters of Mikey, Deb, Tristan, and Chad are everything you would want in a motley group of teens. Each has baggage of some kind, each believes they're working for the greater good, and each one has a love interest within the group. I love how all the YA tropes get blended up here, including everyone's desire to have friends, fit in, be popular, find first love, etc. It is all in this story. What I didn't expect to fall and fell so hard for was how the story concluded. As with any YA of this nature, there's an epic good versus evil battle that brings everyone together. And the writing is so sharp in this podcast with such great social commentary alongside the pop culture and YA references. It just made my heart so happy. <laughs> it really did. The acting and sound design here is top notch, and I really loved all of it. You don't want to miss the bonus episodes, too, because they feed in perfectly to the universe of Gay Future. In particular, I loved the behind the music takeoff on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Dykes. It was so perfect, and you may actually never listen to Fleetwood Mac or Stevie Nicks the same way again after that. The behind-the-scenes bonus episode that rounds out the season was also a favorite, as I geeked out on sound designer Ben discussing how the theme song was made and the creation of Mikey's straight voice. Podcast listeners better be happy that I don't know how to do this stuff because I would probably work them into this show if I could. Anyway, I can't wait to see what the Gay Future team cooks up for season two. And in the meantime, I highly recommend season one for a good dose of hilarity, especially if you like YA books. Now, in the midst of my travels, I also read a book this week because I had plain time. And I was, I fell head over heels for Pocket Full of Stardust by J.P. Barnaby and Rowan Speedwell. Now, when J.P. was on the show back in episode 166, we talked about this project that she was working on with Rowan, and I was intrigued by the concept, and I'm so glad I read the finished book, because Pocketful of Stardust was a magical read. Noah Hitchens has come home to Astor, Georgia, because his father has suddenly passed away. He and his father were close, but Noah did not have a clue on how sick his father was. Now he's faced with handling his father's estate, which includes the Stardust bookstore, where he'd often helped out as a child. He arrives there to a mess. There's debt on the house and the bookstore. Paperwork isn't organized. There's even signs that in the middle of all this, his dad might have been trying to expand because a few thousand dollars worth of coffee-making equipment arrives. He's got a limited time to figure it out, though, because his New York City life awaits him, and there's a ticking clock on the debt. Surprise turns await Noah, though. As he's organizing and inventorying the bookstore, he finds an attic he never knew existed. And there, he actually finds some human remains. Turns out his father bought the store from the daughter of the man who died there in 1966. And Henry is now a ghost. And if that's not enough, Noah also meets Kyle, who he not only develops feelings for, but he soon unravels the complicated life that young man has led because he's on the run from a cult. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this book, and I loved every bit of it. Noah had me hooked from the beginning as he returned to Aster, a town that he forgot that he'd loved so much. There were all the feels as he uncovered what his dad was doing and that he'd hidden it from Noah because he didn't want his son to worry or think that he had to come home to help. Now, Henry the Ghost is an unexpected treat. I was leery about the role that he would play in this story, but it turned out to be so wonderful. Uh, he's an African-American man who owned this bookstore earlier, and at times he plays a historian of the town. He helps Noah with the business to understand the bookstore and some of the rare volumes that his dad had. And at other times, he's also a father figure. And you don't mess with the bookstore ghost either because he could be a very fierce protector. There's some quite moving moments with Henry that I won't spoil here because you, just, you should discover and enjoy those as much as I did. But the many layers of character that J.P. and Rowan give Henry are incredibly wonderful. And I think in the hands of lesser writers, working in a ghost this way would have failed so hard. The gentle love story between Noah and Kyle is this book's centerpiece. They're drawn to each other very early on, but Noah is gentle with Kyle even before he fully knows the story behind why this young man is so skittish. It was so sweet how they immediately knew how to comfort each other with their individual issues and baggage. 
This is one of the sweetest romances ever. You would have loved this romance because it's very nice guys doing nice guy things. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and it blooms under the thought that Noah will have to go back to New York and that Kyle's being stalked because, yes, people from the cult do come for him. And let's just talk about Jake the dog. Never has there been such a loyal, loving dog in a book. Jake's there for Noah as soon as he comes home. He's there for Kyle, too, as Kyle becomes a larger part of Noah's life. I often wanted to give J Jake a hug and a scritch for being such an awesome companion to those two. And the town. The town of Aster is very much a character in this book, and I would like to move there, if only it were real. Uh, except for a few jerks who do get theirs in the end, the town is full of amazing, loving, helpful characters. They support Noah at every turn as he works to save the bookstore from being sold and demolished in favor of progress. It all worked out in the end. It is a romance after all. And I love how JP and Rowan wrapped it all up. The the gestures at the end of the things that happened, just they had to be tearing up on the plane, which wasn't nice, but it happened anyway. <laughs> I hope they're planning more Astro books because I would be happy to revisit this town and its residents at any time. If you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else that we've talked about on this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 203 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm very thrilled this week that we get to welcome Frederick Smith and Chaz Lamar to the show. I reviewed their book, In Case You Forgot, back in episode 196 and loved it so, so much. And it was a great time I had talking to the guys on their first stop on a book tour. So shall we get to that? Yeah. Frederick and Chaz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thank you for having, having us. Thanks for having us here. So for those on the video feed, we're actually coming from the Lavender Library in Sacramento tonight, where you guys have just done your first event for the first co-written novel you've done together called In Case You Forgot. Yes. Now, I raved about this book back at episode 196. Before we get into the book, you've just finished this event. What was it like to do your first public reading and Q&A? You know what? It was magic. It was wonderful. Um, we chose Sacramento specifically because um, we have a great connection to the community um, up here in Northern California. And um, we knew we had a community of readers who had read In Case You Forgot. So for Chaz and me, this was natural just to be here um, in Sacramento for the first. And we felt great. Great questions, great audience interaction. Yes, it was wonderful. And for me, this is my first public book reading ever. This is my first book, and this is Fred's fourth book. Um, and so I remember when Fred wrote, I started to become your fan when you wrote your second book, and I used to go <laughs> to Fred's book readings. And now I'm partnered with Fred writing, writing these things and touring, so this is amazing. And we're happy to have had this opportunity here in Sacramento. And you were right about the questions. The audience asked you guys really insightful questions. And uh, I think I'll repeat some of those for Absolutely. the podcast audience, yes. too. For those who don't know you, uh, give us a little bit about your backgrounds and, and introduce yourselves. Well, okay. we'll start with Chaz, because we'll start with the guy whose name is second on the book. Just <laughs> yeah. mix it up a little bit. <laughs> well, yes. So uh, my name is Chaz Lamar, Chaz Lamar Cruz. And I, um, by day, I work in higher education. I'm an administrator at a university, and on the side, I'm more known for poetry. I write poetry, and this is my first novel, and so that's a little bit about me. And I'm from Southern California, was raised with my grandparents. Um, I claim the deserts and cities of Southern California. Mm -hmm. And I'm Frederick Smith. Um, this is my fourth novel, In Case You Forgot, co-written with Chaz. I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Um, by day, I'm also a university administrator. And then when I turn all the students away and come home, I get on my laptop and start writing. Very cool. It's nice that you both have these nice creative outlets from the day job. Absolutely. It's so important because um, if, if I were just to think about students and higher ed and <laughs> And campus life, I wouldn't have a life. 
So tell us what In Case You Forgot is about. Well, In Case You Forgot uh, follows the life of two uh, characters in a year span as they navigate um, relationships, uh, jobs, work. Um, and some of those relationships are friend dynamics and some of them are romantic, um, intimate partnerships that are coming to an end and also um, beginning. And it's set in West Hollywood, which is uh, a city in Los Angeles County. And it's also known as the queer space in Los Angeles County, the, the queer city in Los Angeles County. Mm -hmm. And so as we begin the novel, the character of Zaire James is um, encountering or wanting to separate from uh, his partner. And the main character of Kenny Kane is um, actually being broken up with via text message on the way to a funeral. Mm -hmm. Which is just brutal, I have to say, as a way to open a book. <laughs> it's harsh. <laughs> it is. Very harsh. Because <laughs> both characters are breaking up at yeah. the beginning. So you started the book at an end. Correct. For mm -hmm. both. Yeah, except one is kind of more being proactive with ending a relationship, and the other one is being acted upon um, in terms of having a relationship end. But yeah, they're both about endings, um, but then renewing again or beginning again. Mm -hmm. What's Hollywood? Mm-hmm. What was the inspiration behind the collaboration and the book? All right. So um, I had a novel out in 2015 with Boltrokes Books um, called Play It Forward. And I took a little hiatus from fiction writing because I went back for a doctoral program. And when I finished the program, um, I had been out of fiction writing for about four years, three years. And publisher emailed and said they were looking for some manuscripts and Fred, hint, hint, we'd like one from you. And would you like to get back on this fiction writing thing? We'd like another book from you. And so um, I said, absolutely, I would love to write a novel. And then um, I thought about Chaz's interest in spoken word, poetry, and having read many of my previous novels. And so I said, Chaz, would you like to write a novel? And Chaz said, absolutely. And then we came up with a plan. And we uh, executed the plan to get this book off the ground. What was it like for you to suddenly get this invitation to write your first book? It was, it was amazing. Um, because like I said, Fred has been uh, one of the re uh, writers that I've read mm -hmm. and enjoyed reading. And so when he asked, I took the first offer. I didn't think he was joking or um, anything. So I, I jumped at the opportunity. And knowing um, that I didn't um, have anything published, though I've written academically um, poetry, um, I was a little bit intimidated going into the process of writing with um, an expert, <laughs> um, mm, published expert, expert a doctor. <laughs> but he's also my friend. <laughs> so um, those feelings subsided after we actually started to write together. Yeah, but I, I never had a doubt that Chaz um, wouldn't be up to the task of writing a novel because um, I knew and know that Chaz is an avid reader. Mm -hmm. um, I have been to many of Chaz's events performing and doing poetry and spoken word. And so I knew that Chaz had the discipline and the, and the, the wherewithal to um, stick to it. And so with a deadline in place from the publisher um, and Virgo me, um, <laughs> we... We started and we just worked and worked and worked and worked after hours, after our day jobs. You mentioned during this event tonight that Kenny actually comes from one of your other books. Yeah, so my second novel is called Right Side of the Wrong Bed. And um, Kenny was a central character in that novel mm -hmm. and um, hadn't thought about that character for a long time. And as we were starting to work on, in case you forgot... Um, I was actually having a tough time thinking about where do I begin with the character I wanted to create or write. Um, and then I thought, I have this character lingering from like 10, 12 years ago who I kind of would like to know what he is up to, you know, um, 10, 12 years later. And so it's like, Kenny Kane, let me reread Right Side of the Wrong Bed. Let me think about what was going on in Kenny's life then and how do we update it for... Um, the novel that we were working on for um, that just recently came out. And so, um, yeah, Kenny is an old friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> was it fun to revisit? 
You know, it really was, um, both in terms of looking at writing, writing style, mm-hmm. um, what was relevant to Kenny back in 2008, 2009 when that novel came out. And then it was kind of like, like, like picking up with an old friend after many years of not seeing them. Uh, maybe you see them on social media every now and then. Um, but getting back with Kenny again was really rewarding and really nice. Um, and especially given that, um, in, in case you forgot, you know, one of the pivotal moments is the loss of Kenny's mother. Mm-hmm. And in Right Side of the Wrong Bed, Kenny's mother was so pivotal and so important and so funny. Sometimes people would joke and say she's that the mother in that novel was like like Jennifer Lewis from Blackish and the one they call the mother of Black Hollywood. Um, everyone said that mom is like Jennifer Lewis. Um, and so, you know, to be able to write this character, then navigating life without that mom. Um, was a really um, important and pivotal moment in terms of picking up with Kenny's life. Mm-hmm. And where did Zaire come from? Zaire, well, the name Zaire comes from the fact that I love Z's. Um, I have two Z's in my name. Um, and I also, in my personal life, was going through transitions. I had just moved back to L.A., specifically living in West Hollywood. And when a Fred asked if I wanted to write a book about transitions, about ending and be endings and beginnings, um, I use my personal life to create the character of Zaire because I was also going through um, endings and new beginnings. Which actually brings to, it's a good transition to a question I had. How much of you two are in your characters? Because I see just in your bios some connections mm-hmm. that there's working in higher ed and, -hmm. you know, living in West Hollywood and these things. So Mm -hmm. how much of you is in these two? You go. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What we like to share with folks is that um, fiction writing is, is not real, but it's so full of truth. And so we put, we took the aspects of our lives that we wanted to talk about in, um, through a truthful way, um, in a fictional way and put them into the characters that we took lead on. And so one major element that my personal life that I was going through that Zaire shares, and that's pretty much it, just one major fact is that um, Zaire is going through a divorce and I also went through a divorce. And so that was one um, transition that I was intentional about putting into the life of Zaire. Mm-hmm. And um, one transition I was going through um, at the time of starting the novel um, the, kid, the character of Kenny lost the mother. I also lost the parent, too. I lost my mother. Um, and so that was something that, um, that I felt made the writing really rich because I was also experiencing many of the emotions that Kenny felt, just specifically in terms of loss and losing a parent figure. Um, and so I feel, I feel like that, that led to some emotional realism um, as it related to some of the other fictional situations that Kenny um, went through in a novel. What what do you want people to take away from this book? Wow. One thing that I would like people to get out of the novel is that um, there is hope for tomorrow, that no matter the challenges or struggles, um, that life continues. And that um, for me personally, I'm thinking about the idea of seeking help when one needs it. And for both of these characters, um, not only are they dealing with specific situations and issues in the queer community and in their personal lives, but um, there are some issues that that, that, that connect with mental health, um, especially for the character of Kenny. And so I would like for people to get out that there's nothing wrong with asking for help, seeking help, um, help that's maybe not necessarily within your personal circle, but someone who's, you know, separated a little bit. Um, That's important to me. All the things that you said, I I echo. And one final thing I guess I would add is that sometimes when uh, one navigates so many things in, in your life, it can feel really difficult to continue. And so I hope folks read the book and see themselves in some, in some sort or see a friend in the book and to continue with trying somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had mentioned in, in the Q&A that this was very much like an improv 
So you didn't come into this book with an outline and you didn't come into it even knowing where your end point was. Correct. Yet you deal with so many big topics like the mental health, like being a person of color in West Hollywood, losing parents, all of this material. Mm -hmm. And you stretched it through the narrative so well. Did it, were there a lot of edits after the first draft or did this come out as fully formed as it did? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The magic happened on the first draft. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 it didn't happen for this one at all. Um, so so when I write, especially fiction, um, I don't outline. Um, I kind of go where the characters go. Mm-hmm. They take on a life of their own, um, etc. But um, in terms of the, the question, um, kind of tying up loose ends happened after the first draft was completed. And once we started looking for either holes in plots or loose ends that need to be tied up or situations that maybe were mentioned at some point in a novel, Mm -hmm. but we didn't either bring to closure or didn't like thematically connect throughout the novel. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of that kind of magic happened once the first draft was done. And then we did that cold, hard read of like many writers, this is crap. (laughs) This is awful. I want to throw it across the page, across the room, like a vase or something. Um, and so, one, yeah, once we finished the first draft, then we were like, you know what? We need to um, tie up loose ends and put some plot points together and make sure that A to B to C to Z match and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Though we didn't have like an outline, we did know that we want to talk about specific topics through mm-hmm. uh, the lens of the characters. And so... We said, what do they, what do these characters look like at work? So that'll be, that's how our outline was. Uh, Kenny at work or Kenny in work or Zaire in work. Zaire um, in an ending, Kenny in an ending. So we had that kind of structure Mm -hmm. and we allowed the story to just blossom from, from that kind of outline. Mm -hmm. Having now worked together and gone through this book, I'm going to put you both on the spot. What is a favorite scene that the other wrote? Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, that's such a good question. <laughs> wow, favorite scene that the other wrote. Um, um, you go, go ahead. No. <laughs> you, ah! <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really enjoyed all of Chaz's scenes. Well, I think the one, like, I don't even know who wrote Palm Springs I, first. I was going to say that. Or who initiated it. But one of us wrote a version of Palm Springs. Then the other like took it and and reworked it with lots more magic and i i think that was probably the most fun of the collaboration was how palm springs turned out because Mm -hmm. we did not know and we won't give away any spoilers but palm springs was palm springs and um and we were like we didn't know it was gonna go where it went um or Ooh, I got another. You one. go ahead. Okay, yeah. yeah. Palm Springs is one of mine because we kind of wrote it together. But another one from Kenny that left me with all the emotions was uh, the chapter when Kenny is having an argument with his best friend. <gasps> oh, yeah. And I remember reading it because at, we started off writing the book together. We would meet mm-hmm. up and we would write together. And then at towards the middle of the book. We would just say, tonight, talk about this. And then we can write on the cloud separately. So when I read Kenny's um, interaction with his best friend, I called Fred. I said, this is too much. I can't do it. I think uh, you were in tears. Yes, it was emotional for me. And then I got in tears. I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of what it would be like if best friends. Yes. It was brutal. Wasn't I it? Mean, it was. Yeah, it was absolutely ah, brutal. Like but that's what happens when people know each other's vulnerabilities, yeah. Yeah. and then they decide to hurt each I'm other. I'm gonna tap into that vulnerability, mm-hmm. even though they really don't mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I said as I closed out my review that I want sequels. I want a romance book for both Kenny and Sayer because I want these two to find their happy. Oh. Um, Find they're happy. And they're in a good place. Don't make a mistake. I think they're both in a good place at the end of this book, but I want they're happy with the right people. Do we get that? Maybe at some point? We will say that we have started writing together again. And I, I actually, I would 
specifically because having seen Kenny's trajectory from Mm -hmm. right side of the wrong bed to in in case you forgot, um, I am ready for Kenny to be secure, to grow up, make some more adult choices around (laughs) romance, um, and not just fall for the okie doke, but to really find someone who um, really accepts and compliments all of um kenny's magic yeah and so i am looking forward to writing that i just hope (laughs) that when we do write it that it's interesting for readers and that um people find they're happy through kenny's happiness and i want zaire to be happy too I wouldn't say that, like like you said, I don't think they're not happy, but I think happy can look different in different ways. And Absolutely. so we're going to explore what happy uh-huh. is, yeah. potentially. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Coming in 2021, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully 2020. Maybe 2020. See. Yes. I was giving you a little space there on the you publishing calendar. Yeah, we got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about this is not your first book. Mm-hmm. What got you into writing fiction? Okay, so um, I'm I'm not originally from Los Angeles, but when I moved there, um, I went with the intention of um, getting into TV writing. I always mm-hmm. grew up watching soap operas, Young and the Restless, General <laughs> Hospital, One Life to Live, Guiding Light with my grandma, uncles, aunts, and everything. So I always wanted to be a soap opera writer, but really had no, no um, outline of how to do it. And so when TV writing... I figured that wasn't going to happen. I took some uh, creative writing classes at an extension program at a university across town. And there I got connected with other people who were interested in fiction writing. And after the class was over, uh, my professor, um, her name was Carrie Madden, um, she said, join my writer's group. I was like, really? And in her writer's group, there were all these, like, Denise Hamilton and, mm. and someone who wrote White Oleander and someone else. I was like, I'm sitting in a room with all these people who wrote all these books and they want little old me, gay, black me in their group. But um, what happened from there was um, Denise Hamilton, who writes these wonderful mystery novels in L.A., was at a, a party in New York. And was just having a small talk with someone about, yeah, there's this black gay person in my writer's group. And he writes these wonderful chapters about black gay life in Los Angeles. And an editor who was at my previous publisher overheard her and said, give me Fred's contact information. And that's how it started. It was like mm-hmm. like ABC. Um, and then from there, that's when the relationship with fiction writing started. Um, luckily, I had had a pretty close to full manuscript because of this writer's group and um all the magic happened from there in terms of um book to agent to publisher to down for whatever which was your first that was my first novel yes that's awesome and you've been lambda literary nominated along the way too yeah um right side of the wrong bed and that, that that was a total surprise right side of the wrong bed um which Kenny started in was um, nominated for a Lambda Literary Award and then became a finalist. And actually, I thought I was going to win, but I didn't win. But that's okay. No <laughs> Erica this... Kane moment there. <laughs> but maybe this year. <laughs> yes, I want that <laughs> Emmy. No, but um, we shall see what happens. But yeah, it was it was such an honor. The the, um, the awards that year were in Los Angeles. And I went with mm-hmm. my friend Fiona Zed, who was also nominated for a Lambda Literary Award. And so we had fun together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the fun part is just being in an audience with everyone and celebrating all this um, queer fiction that's happening mm-hmm. in the room and just meeting all these wonderful authors and um, everyone affiliated with writing. And the Lambda Literary Organization is great. So, yes. Now, Chaz, for you, yes. you've been writing poetry. How did you, what brought you into that creative outlet? Yes. Um, so, my mother, I think her second time in rehab, gave me a journal. I was a teenager at that time and that journal became my my way into um tapping into like my emotion and sharing my emotion on on paper and so that helped me into creating poems and then later down the line i found out that my mother also was a poet um but then i went to college undergrad and i started to um 
share with people the things that I would write in my personal journal that were poems. And I remember I joined a few competitions and won. And when I started to win, I realized, oh, okay, maybe um, people like the things that I that I write or things that I, that I share. And that um, helped me continue to write poetry and also to share my experiences and my understanding of the world, my understanding of myself and society. And um, yeah, that started my journey with writing. And then Fred asked me to join. Yes. In a novel. How did it feel to transition from poetry <laughs> to uh, to longer form fiction? And as I think you put it in in, in the session this evening, writing entire sentences. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, that was one thing that I really worried about going into this process because with poetry, I I can share a story, a whole story, in five lines. But then with writing a novel, you have to um, share that story in a few hundred pages. And you have to talk, uh, write in um, complete sentences. And so that was in the back of my mind. I don't know why it was in the back of my mind, because I've written academic papers um, before. But something about fiction writing um, scared me a little bit. And I think it's because I was writing with... With Fred, who's an amazing writer who I enjoyed um, reading. Um, but yeah, I did think about, okay, Chaz, you can't just um, use a metaphor here. You have to explain this metaphor. You can't just use a simile. You have to explain it and stretch it. Um, but I think um, Zaire's um, chapters are kind of poetic in, its, in itself. Yeah. I certainly caught that when you were reading tonight, that there was a certain kind of cadence, cadence to yeah. it. And uh, if people want to check it out, in the show notes for this, we'll link up to the live video that we shot of their reading tonight, in case you missed it before. What's coming up next for both of you, either collaborating or separately? Okay, so yeah, we are. Um, Chaz has started on the continuation of In Case You Forgot, <laughs> and so I will get on that cloud and start contributing to the novel. Um, see what, what corners Chaz has written Zaire and Kenny into and pick up from there. Um, but yeah, we're really excited about working together again on a, on, on, on a continuation, not only because we want to do it, but also from people who've read the novel. Um, they enjoy it and they enjoy the ending and they're like, we want more. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to give the readers what they want. So we're going to give them more uh, Kenny and Zaire. Yes. So that's one collaboration. I'm also doing a few more collaborations with writing. Um, and I'm really excited for to continue the story of Zaire and Kenny. Um, another story that I am breathing life into is follows um, the life of three millennials living in L.A. who are navigating um, L.A. Um, through the lens of loss and particular different kinds of loss. But they're all friends. And then another collaboration I'm working on as a poetry book with a dear friend of mine who we write poetry to each other every day without knowing what we will um, what we will read or what we're going through and we don't discuss it but we have a cloud where we just write poetry to each other and I want to make that into a thing. That is a fascinating concept in general just to have that daily trading of creative energy back and forth. Yes. I'm always writing now and with this novel, it inspires me um, to continue to write and to share. Because like, journaling is something intimate to me. And I started to do it with uh, processing my emotions with my, my mother. And um, now I'm starting to share the things that I, that I write more. How's it, I, how's it feel to share? Because that can be so uh, incredibly intimidating, but also very freeing at the same time, I would imagine. Yes. It's, it's scary for me. <laughs> Um, cause it, it pushes me to be more vulnerable and being vulnerable is so scary for me. Um, but not a lot of, not a lot of people know that, but, um, sharing is very scary. But when you, when I meet people who, who enjoy the things that I share, that's when, um, it comes back. The gift of sharing comes back. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm not really shy about sharing my work, <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've been doing creative writing stuff since third grade um, contests in elementary school. I did newspaper in high school and college. And so I've always felt kind of confident and received a lot of compliments and 
great feedback from teachers, from mm-hmm. readers about the work that I've done. Um, so, yeah, I am fine with sharing. But what does get me are they tell us not to read reviews. They tell us not to read what's on Amazon and on, you know, all the other sites where people read books. And so, but, you know, I get that phone out and sometimes I glance through and I read and I'm like, what do you mean you thought this? Or you didn't think it was a five or something. Um, And then I have to tell myself, People are entitled to their thoughts and opinions, um, and you write because you want to create for the greater good of getting work out and not necessarily for mm-hmm. a specific number or letter grade and things like that. But I do like all A's, and I do like fives. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've read the book, give us a review. Yes, anywhere. Yes. What's the best way for people to keep up with you guys online? Okay, um, for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram pretty actively um, under FSmith827. Um, I'm also on Facebook, too, as Frederick Smith Author or Frederick Smith on um, Without an Author page. I'm on Facebook as Chaz Lamar, and then my Instagram and Twitter is Chaz Cruz without the A, so C-H-Z-C-R-U-Z. And you can go to my website, ChazLamar.com. Yes. Fantastic. Well, we wish you the best of luck, As in, in case you forgot, continues its journey out into the world. And thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Thank you for having us today. Thank you. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. I had such a good time talking to the guys, and I'm so happy to know that they are working on the sequel to this book. I can't wait to read that. Also want to mention that Chaz and Frederick are going to be part of a panel discussion called Let's Talk About Failure. And that's going to be at the Ripped Bodice on September 15th. It looks like it's going to be a very interesting discussion as they talk about failures and the big risks and inspirational stories that give them the courage to keep going. They're part of a panel of five, and it's one of those moments I really wish we lived in L.A. so we could get to an event like this. You can get more information on that event at theripboddessla.com. Okay, everyone, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder, Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists and writers, musicians, and podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every single month, just simply go over to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up in episode 204, Jay from Joyfully Jay is going to join us with some book recommendation and what's coming up for this year's Reading Challenge Month. It's always great to hear the the challenges that uh, her and her review team put together. So I look forward to getting all the lowdown on that. Okay, everyone, please remember that no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.